Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, what's up? Welcome to GC Live here at Market Old Main, downtown Columbia. I am Wes Mitchell. And as promised, joined by Colin Taylor, officially this time. The other time, it was sort of a spur of the moment. Yeah, spur of the moment. Joining us here, I got to say, for the first time since we've been doing the show here at Market on Main, it is a beautiful day in downtown Columbia. So whether you come see us today or whether you come out on Saturday for the watch party, which you see the outstanding outdoor seating area right now behind us, and that way is a 23-foot LED screen that you have to see to experience um, to really just get it. And that's where Colin Taylor's Cubs will be losing their series in about an hour. I'm not even going to dispute you on that one. So, and which means I'm going to win my bet with Colin. But again, all right, so I'm Wes Mitchell. He's Colin Taylor. We are brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Home of the game day chair. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. Colin show last night, always sort of the final, at least public reaction to the game by Will Muschamp. First and foremost, update on Izzy McQuamu. I know people have been paying attention to Twitter or GamecockCentral.com. Already know this, but tell everybody the latest injury report, but more importantly, what that injury report means for South Carolina going into this matchup with number three Florida at the Swamp on Saturday at noon. Yeah, so Muschamp said, obviously on his call-in show, that Izzy's going to play. They're preparing for him to play, coming off that groin injury, heading against Tennessee. So uh, it's huge for South Carolina. When you have a guy that long, uh, that big, against a guy like Kyle Pitts, who they're going to need to cover, uh, it's huge. And Florida's got playmakers all over the field, so – Getting him back just with his length and his experience going up against guys like a Kyle Pitts, a, a Kadarius Tony, it's going to be huge. And uh, Shrod Green obviously out for four to six weeks with that um, fractured hip. Kind of compared Muschamp compared it some to the Tua injury from last year and uh, said that he updated Jamar Brown a little bit, said that it was he's kind of still day-to-day kind of doubtful. The way he kind of described it, I don't feel confident he's going to play, but he said they're definitely going to be back next week for that Vanderbilt game. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think with Jamar, man, um, even if he's getting close, you probably don't throw him out there, at, you know, in the swamp, number three team in the country, a game against an outstanding passing attack, and one where we've seen Jamar, if he's playing that dime spot, he's going to be counted on in coverage to match up a, a lot, I think, particularly maybe even with the pits if he was on the field. So, that, that's a lot to throw at a young guy. He did play some last year, didn't play a ton. So, I, I mean, just reading between the lines from what Muschamp said, you know, may, maybe he get, maybe if he's close, he gets out there for a little bit, but it, it doesn't seem like it. And I don't know even if he's just 
almost there. I don't know if you really risk that to throw a guy into the fire when you could just give him one more week and have him completely 100% ready to go for Vander, you know, for Vanderbilt the next week. So, but all in all, I would say a positive report on injuries for South Carolina. Izzy being the big one that South Carolina needed to get back. And I, I you know, I, I know people have maybe piled on Cam Smith a little bit. And I've said, look, we can't we can't really pile on this kid. That really was his first SEC playing right. time where he's out there trying to cover guys, trying to cover guys downfield. And he he got in some games last year, mostly special teams or blowouts. Cam Smith is gonna be fine. But as far as throwing him right back out there against a really good, again, passing attack, Dan Mullen, I think one of the best to do it in the SEC at scheming up offenses and some really talented Florida weapons. Just much more ideal for an experienced guy, someone that's played since really the, I would say, the latter part of their freshman year, played all last year, having Izzy Mukwamu to line up across, you know, opposite of of J.C. Horn much more ideal situation for South Carolina in this matchup. So, man, I I think the matchup everybody has talked about all week long is what does South Carolina do with Kyle Pitts. And you look, he's 6'6". He's like 240, 250 pounds is your, I would say, prototypical modern NFL tight end. Yeah, Still not – I mean, he's not going to blow anybody away with his blocking ability. He's big enough to get in the way of people. Probably has improved that part of his game. But let's be honest. He's on the field. He's going to be a first-round draft pick because of the mismatch he provides in the passing game. So I I know you wrote your article. It's on GamecockCentral.com talking about how does South Carolina defend Pitts. What are your initial impressions? I mean, we saw him last year. I think he was coming into his own at that point. Um what are your initial impressions just listening to the Carolina players talk, listening to Muschamp talk, and what you've seen with your own eyes of this matchup for South Carolina? I mean, I think they're going to throw a lot at him. Uh, I think that I asked Jamie Robinson kind of how they were trying to mirror pits to begin with, and he said that they're going to match up. I think Kevion Mullins was doing a little bit of scout team work with him, but Kevion Mullins only 6'1", 240. Uh, same weight, different height. And I think you're going to – if you're South Carolina and you're – Travis Robinson or Will Muschamp, you got to try and throw as much at him as possible. I mean, whether that's Jamie Robinson at the nickel, whether that's Brad Johnson at the Sam, whether that's J.C. Horn sliding him into the nickel some. So you're going to have to throw a lot at him so we can't get comfortable with how one guy guards him or how one guy's shading him, and so Florida's not comfortable. And I think a big part of what South Carolina's going to have to do is have to get pressure with four. You're going to have to be able to pressure Kyle Trask to the point where he's not comfortable and, and Kyle Pitts doesn't have a lot of time to get open against guys that are either bigger than him or shorter than him. And that's a big thing if you're South Carolina trying to make Kyle Pitts uncomfortable and pressure and, and, and affect Kyle Trask in the pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got our first guest, by the way, over there. Our buddy uh, Mike Yuva has joined us uh, from Watch Fox. He is uh, chilling that's over right. there. Uh, hopefully he'll come over and say hello in a second. But um, – Oh, so, okay, Kyle Pitts. So I'll go back. YouTube, South Carolina versus Florida, 2019. Beauty of that is you can go five seconds at the time. It's beautiful. I went through the entire South Carolina football game last year in literally under 15 minutes just looking at who was across from Kyle Pitts. 
So number 84, he's a big dude, very easy to spot pre-snap. I went through, I clicked, I watched every single snap of Florida offensively. First thing I noticed, this man does not come off the field. So that's um, that's something for them. Not really a lot of two tight end stuff, but he's going to be on the field. Yep. They, they ran a little bit of two tights last year. If you look at their PFF snap counts from the game against Ole Miss, a little bit of two tights for the most part, that's not what they do. But so I, I watched Kyle Pitts, right? The first thing you notice about him, other than the size, athletic ability, he's lining up split out. Um, yeah, they're doing a lot with him. Yeah, he's lining up split out in a bunch formation as sort of that lead guy who gives you a big blocker on the edge sometimes. He's lined up a lot of times. They'll put trips to one side and then put him as the lone. They'll isolate him basically right. on the completely other side of the formation. They'll line him up actually as a true inline tight end, or they'll line him up sort of in that little H back role where he's in the box like a tight end, but is sort of Behind offset, line, yeah. yeah, off the line. So point being, eighty four is not going to line up back to back in the same spot very often. They're going to move him around. Well, South Carolina, traditionally, they're not really a follow-you defense. Like They're not going to say one guy is going to cover this kid, man up, and follow him. What I saw last year and what I imagine we will see this year is they had multiple guys. Now, one thing they never did that I saw, they almost never just left a linebacker alone covering pits. Even – when they had a certain coverage called where Pitts was matched up with a linebacker, they would have the buck or the defensive end chip Pitts basically off the line of scrimmage to sort of slow him up out of his route first and foremost. A lot of times the linebacker, or the, excuse me, the safety, because a lot, of, you know, South Carolina's going to play those single high safety defenses. Well, whatever safety was not back deep in coverage a lot of times it's left to play man coverage when they're in man with Kyle Pitts. So for South Carolina, that's either R.J. Roderick or Shiloh Sanders. Now, when they split Pitts all the way out, then is when he was picked up by an Izzy McQuamu, by a J.C. Horn out on the edge. When he's out on the edge, they treated him just like a wide receiver. So essentially, if you're South Carolina, I think you have Pitts – in mind at all times, right. you're focused on him, but you don't you don't completely throw away every other aspect of your defense by saying we're going to go just double team this guy and leave everybody else left, you right. know, in one on one coverage. Because then you basically you cut off what's what's the phrase? You cut off your face to, to spite, spite your, your foot. Yeah, yeah, like cut off your nose to spite. Your yeah, foot. cut off your nose, spite your face. Yeah. They're not going to do that. Because then I think they'll get hammered by these other receivers because they do have good other receivers. So point being, you're a, you're a statistical guy, man. If you look back, Pitts didn't kill South Carolina last year. And as far as SEC games for Kyle Pitts, South Carolina held him to less yardage last year than any other SEC team. There were some other games where Florida was up big and I'm assuming didn't need Pitts against some out-of-conference teams that he had less yardage. But for as far as matchups against SEC teams, South Carolina held Pitts, I think it was five catches um, 
for under 40 yards last year. It's Yeah, and because and they, they have the guys that can go on one-on-one with them. Um, you have a J.C. Horn. You have a you know Israel Mukwamu, a Jamie Robinson, guys that can win in one-on-one coverage. The only problem you find is when you match up with a guy like when he's matched up with maybe a linebacker, Ernest Jones when they're in nickel, or, or Sherrod Green last year, now probably a Damani Staley or um, Brad Johnson, that's when those guys kind of have the matchup problems where you need either bracket him with the safety, chip him at the line of scrimmage, or do something like that. So getting Pitts into a situation where he's matched up with a J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu, Jamie Robinson, your, your top three guys in the secondary, I think is going to be huge and there might be ways you can do it if you're South Carolina. Well, Muschamp is obviously much smarter than I am when it comes to defense. Terrarius Robinson much smarter than I am when it comes to defense. So there are ways you can probably scheme it up to where you can get Kyle Pitts on the matchup you want, whether that's showing a look and then having them motion out from it um, to get you kind of in the look that you want to get into so you feel good about that one-on-one matchup. Yes, I think um, that's clearly something to watch. But what the other receivers – for Florida do as well. You, you can't lose sight of those guys because they do have some really good other players. Yeah. Um, again, we're at Market on Main. Colin and Colin has gotten hooked up here with the burger, which she has completely plain, which we yes. won't really talk about that. I got the uh, turkey and bacon and avocado on some toast, and we both got truffle fries, and they both look amazing. and sound amazing. And uh, we are going to be joined now by our buddy Chris Clark, who did not want to come hang out with us today, but he is uh, hanging out at his office. Let's bring in Chris now if we can. Chris, what's up, man? What's up, guys? I've been watching, checking out your food. Uh, I'm jealous. Jealous of the atmosphere there at Market on Main. It looks really fun. Colin, your food takes remain bad. Um, do not eat a plain burger next time. <laughs> been eating a plain burger for about 25 years now so really okay that that explains a lot i (laughs) think um (laughs) so chris i know i mean you and i have talked about the game all week long yep where where's your head right now i mean you're you're most i think of what we were saying about pits and that matchup where's your head Are, are you ready to possibly give us a prediction about how you think this game is going to play out. Maybe not a score, but where's your feel right now? The hay is sort of in the barn at this point. The matchup is happening less than 24 hours from now. Where's your head at on how South Carolina matches up with this Gator team? Is 17 and a half a fair line? Are are these teams that far apart, or do you think it's potentially closer? You know, I, I think that line's pretty fair. Um, you know, I was looking over some of the lines yesterday, and I think it was 17 and a half, 18, depending on who you're looking at. With an over-under, if I'm not mistaken, of about 57 and a half. So, so if, if you sort of take that math from Vegas, it's, you know, a 38 to 20 game, a 37-20 game, a 38-21, whatever it may be. And, and would that be a shocking outcome at all, given what we know about these teams, which we still got a lot to learn, we think about both of them? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't think that's a, that's, that's a shocking outcome at all if that's how it plays out. You know, I, I go back to this. If South Carolina is going to, um, you know, pull an upset here, which it would be, this, this, is a, this is a good football team they're going to play on the road. They've still got some question marks, some things they've got to clean up defensively against a more dynamic offensive football team than they faced last week. 
against a defense that didn't have a very good week one showing, but we know has some athleticism and can cause you some issues. South Carolina's got some questions to answer offensively too. So it'd be hard to roll into week two with, you know, again, limited sample size on both these teams in 2020, but it'd be hard to roll in and, and predict an upset. Would it be a shock if South Carolina played well, got on the plus side of the turnover margin and, and came away with a huge upset? It wouldn't be a shock, but, you know, it's not something I don't think I would pick at, at this juncture, but I think it's a really compelling game. And I think it's one that South Carolina has a chance, you know, to win if they can really go turn in a, a better performance than in week one. Yeah, I guess kind of kind of want to talk too a little bit about South Carolina's offense. Obviously, they kind of clicked a little bit more in the second half than they did in the first against Tennessee. What are you kind of expecting from Colin Hale and, and Mike Bobo and the tweaks that you're going to see from South Carolina on game day? It seemed like in the first half of that Tennessee game, maybe South Carolina was sort of feeling its way through the game. First drive obviously went well. I think it was well called. It was well executed. And that's why South Carolina went right down and scored. Mike Bobo, and, and this was relayed by Will Muschamp, Mike Bobo thought after halftime, you know, halftime adjustments, that's a big thing that we all discussed really the past two seasons at South Carolina, um, you know, went into the locker room and, and felt like they needed to open it up more in that game. And then reviewing the tape from the Tennessee game as a whole, felt like they should have opened it up a little bit earlier. You know, taking some more downfield shots, called some more downfield routes, and so seems like maybe that's the route they're gonna they're gonna go. I mean, obviously, scheming up Shy Smith and what you can do there is going to be a storyline to watch. The running game is going to be a storyline, but can they can they protect Colin Hill enough to go take some deep shots in this game and maybe loosen up that Florida defense like they did Tennessee? You know, this Florida defense they have some younger pieces up front, but a lot of talent. You know, they got some talented guys when you talk about Gervon Dexter and, and Brenton Cox. There's some linebackers that can run, some DBs that can run. So can they loosen up for it a little bit by hitting some big plays? I think that's going to be the question. Again, biggest thing for me offensively, can't go down there and turn it over. They're going to have to come out on the plus side turnover margin-wise in this game. Chris, I, there was a question on our board in um, – in the thread about about GC Live today, you you may be able to see it. I'm I'm struggling to see it from our distance right now. Um, but essentially, was asking why did we not see South Carolina open it up a little bit more in the first half? And and Drew uh, Drew just mentioned it on YouTube as well that I believe I believe Drew was also the poster who asked about it. And you know I do think it is a valid point, a valid thought. Because I think you were sitting at home or sitting in the stadium probably. Most people were saying, when are they going to stretch the field? And I remember Bobo even talking a pretty good bit this offseason about quarterback play last year. And he was talking about the average yards per completion last year and it not being near what it needed to be, right? So I think there was a little shock that South Carolina didn't try to threaten the – you know, downfield aspect a little bit more. Now, you, you can't fault their first drive. Their first drive was outstanding. Yeah. After that, obviously, there were some struggles. And, you know, guys, I think it is important to remember, sometimes you get into the play-to-play feel of a game and you're trying – you're just dialed into what are we calling next? What do we think they're going to do? What What's the best play for this down and distance? And – 
I don't want to say you forget because that makes it sound like you're not re- your job, like yeah. really negative. Yeah. But there, you only have so many drives in one half, and sometimes you get so dialed in, you sort of have to use halftime. I think to take a step back like a and say, yeah, what what do we need to do? And then you say, you're like, we haven't thrown the ball down the field, and may, maybe even maybe they had some stuff dialed up at yeah. some point, and the ball doesn't get out, right? So, I think Chris, that will be an emphasis moving forward. One thing Muschamp even mentioned, there is still a filling out process for how these players are going to respond being in Bobo's offense. He's still learning. You can see guys in practice all you want. He's still learning what these guys have on game day, right? So I do think there was sort of some first game aspects there. But certainly moving forward, I think getting the ball down the field, even if it's not successful, just forcing defensive backs and linebackers, for that matter, to respect the downfield passing game, has to be a part of what South Carolina does offensively. Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. A lot of really good points. There's a really good question, too. So to go to start with what you said, Wes, I mean, Will Muschamp talked about that the other day and that South Carolina's got to find both some plays and some players can, that can at least threaten to stretch the field vertically. I mean, we can talk about shot plays and, and executing some deep balls and threatening the defense vertically all we want, but you got to – dial those plays up, which they did a little bit more in the second half by design. And you got to have some guys that are going to run them. You know, when you're running your your shorter routes, even if you know you're not getting the ball, are you running the route 100%? If you're running your deep routes, are, are you threatening the defense? Because if not, these defensive backs, these guys at Florida who are, you know, a lot of four-star type guys, they're going to just sit on the routes, they're going to be physical with you, and you're not really going to have a chance. So that that's first and foremost – yeah, the halftime adjustments, I think you can look at it in both ways. You know, you look at, say, the 2018 South Carolina-Florida game. South Carolina came right out of the gate hot. Um, they had a really good plan offensively, right? Um, defensively, they played well early, and then it fell off a cliff the latter part of the second half. They scored 10 points in the third quarter, but after that it just completely fell off where the defense fell apart and then they weren't doing anything. So you can look at it. The, the opposite way, you know, even of what the question was, why didn't they adjust then, okay, even though they came in with a good plan? Well, sometimes you come in with a plan that's working a little bit or it's not really working. And like you said, Wes, it is tough. I mean, it's it's live bullets flying in a game. When you get, you know, when, you, when you're punting, you know, then your defense is on the field. Maybe you've got a sequence of three to four plays, and then you're ready to call the next play. You got to remember that they've got guys up in the booth and on the sideline, they're gathering data. And so when everybody comes together at halftime, you've got a little bit more of a complete picture of, hey, how many times is Florida in this? What are they doing against this? You can relay that some during the game, but it's very hard to do during a drive or even in between drives. So you get a a better picture there, um, sort of a total picture, and then you have time to step back a little and say, what do we need to do to adjust here? because you're going in that first half and you sort of got not even necessarily a script, but you got an idea of how you want to attack. You can make some tweaks here and there. Muschamp mentioned that on, on the defensive side of the ball the other night. You know, talking about Tennessee not adjusting to bracketing Shy Smith. It's hard to do that in a game situation, even after halftime sometimes. Um, they expect to see more of that. So I think it's, it's, it's basically what you said, I think, there, Wes, in that 
You just need some more time to gather the data to step back to make sure that your eyes aren't deceiving you and that you have a complete picture of of how they're defending you. You know, Chris, I don't know who asked that question about Shai Smith in the press conference. He does sound like a really smart journalist, though. I have to say so myself. <laughs> That's right. Um, but um, we had a question on there about Luke Doty. And I know um, you had, I think, Xavier Leggett, Shai Smith, and Nick Muse combined for 18 of 29, 18 of Colin Hill's 29 completions or 25 completions. And I want to say 270 of his 290 yards or some, you know, a big statistic like that. What are you expecting Florida to do to kind of take Shai Smith out of the game? And what guys are you looking at, whether that's a Luke Doty, a DeCarion Joyner, a Rico Powers, a Jakari Caldwell, a Josh Van, as a guy that can step up and take some of the slack off an offense that needs to produce on Saturday? So I think there's a couple things for it. I mean, you know, number one, uh, Mike Bobo has proven during his career that if he's got a, a horse that's hot, he's, he's going to ride the horse. And so whether that's a – you know, at Georgia where he had Todd Gurley, you know, you give you give the ball to Todd Gurley. You don't need to overthink it. If you got a third and one, you're giving the ball to Todd Gurley and you let him go run and break 10 tackles and run 80 yards. <laughs> you know, same thing at receiver. And so that's what he did with Shai Smith against Tennessee. It was a smart plan, and he schemed up some things, even though everybody on the field knew it, you know, to be able to get him open. So the first part of it is I think, you know, Florida obviously is going to know. They're going to be trying to pressure Colin Hill up front because he's not as mobile. Um, so Mike Bobo and his staff will have to come up with some curveballs from a schematic standpoint to protect, to get Shy loose. If he goes through this game with a very limited impact, and South Carolina's offense is going to have a very limited impact, I think. Just call it like it is. And so they'll have to scheme him up. Um, but the other guys, they've got to – you know, I think Florida's going to probably try some brackets on Shy Smith – I mean, they're probably not going to be out there doubling them every time, but maybe sometimes they got a safety over. Maybe sometimes they're zoning it up, blitzing, do, giving some different looks and doing some different things. But these other guys, I mean, they're searching for, you know, whoever it is, a van, a joiner, a leggett, anyone to be more of a vertical threat, to play fast, and to threaten the defense. And to some degree, we don't know who that's going to be, but it's a question that they've got to get answered. And I think the bottom line is just – um, can do, do they have time up front? Does Colin Hill have time? And can some of these other guys go out there and execute the plays that are called um, and go get open? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Well, I think to that point, Chris, we can talk about scheming guys open, and uh, you know, there were some comments on the board, which I which I get. You know, play calling does matter, but at some point. Guys just have to defeat man coverage. Yeah, it's and, easy to call plays for a guy that runs a 4-4 that's 220 pounds. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, you can call man beaters and routes that can defeat that. But just, I mean, I think we sit here a lot of times, and if if, if your team's defense is in zone, and we're, we're as guilty as, as anybody, media, fans, and a team's picking apart the zone, and we just say, well, why don't you play man coverage? And we expect – Cam Smith, for example, to be able to stick directly on that guy in man coverage and hold up every single play of a game. Yet, then we turn around and offensively we say, well, if they're calling plays to get that guy open, why can't he get open? Well, if they're in man coverage, even if you have man-beating routes, at some point it just becomes – Literally, man versus man, which guy 
can separate from the other. Which guy has a knack for getting open? And I think, you know, not, and not to pick on to carry on Joyner, because we know what Joyner can do in the open field with the ball in his hands. But one thing he does not have a lot of experience doing is breaking away from a defender, you know, who's in his face, who is trained to stay with him as far as SEC competition goes. So I I don't think you give up on Joyner after like one game as a true wide receiver. But some, some, as as Muschamp said yesterday, some of it ultimately – is go get open, you know, and there, there's only so much of that you can do from the sideline. So whether, you know, whether it is Joyner, whether it's Josh Van, whether it's Luke Doty, whether it's Rico Powers, ultimately, yes, there are things you can do to, dial, you know, to call plays. But the reason they're throwing the ball to Shy Smith 15 times last week, which, by the way, was the highest for any receiver in the SEC as far as number of targets – is because, guess what, Shy Smith was getting open. Even the incompletions to Shy saved maybe a couple of them. The, the deep ball that I thought Shy had a chance to make a really nice play on, if he hauls it in, he's still got room there, you know, to make a play. So the reason that Shy's getting the ball, the reason – and, you know, we can harp on Nick Muse's one drop all we want, but – Muse made a sliding catch. He made a sort of diving catch. He was Nick Muse was open, I would say, pretty much all night long. So the reason those guys are getting the ball right now is because, yes, they're being emphasized by Mike Bobo, but they're wide open. You know, they're open. Like that's ultimately what it comes down to. So I think it's easy to be here, you know, sitting here and be like, well, they have to get the ball to other people. Well, at some point it comes down to the players on the field going out and making some plays. Guys, I'm going to be curious to see what happens moving forward as far as young players stepping in, getting more opportunities. I'm not just talking about Luke Doty, Rico Powers as the year goes on, Akivion Mullins, who Muschamp says just needs to be more consistent, but probably is one of your best potential matchups on the field. And my guy Eric Shaw, who – I've been calling for since the start of the year. Colin doesn't read my stuff because he thought it was a surprise that Eric Shaw was getting highlighted by Will Muschamp. But these young, talented guys that I think – I think you have two things going right here right now. You know, you have some veteran guys, and I I think it's not fair to put Joyner in the veteran category because he hasn't played receiver. But just as far as age goes, you have some older guys. But then – I think you do when it comes to these younger kids, Mullins, Shaw at tight end, Rico Powers, Luke Doty. I think you do have some athleticism there where you have people who can probably in time get open, but then you're on the other end of it. How long does it take them to get comfortable? Because as we saw, one tipped ball, one wrong route, one mistake in this league can be a pick six. So it's easy for us as fans, as media, to be like, you have to play the young guy. But then we're the same one saying, why didn't that guy run the right route right. if he messes it up? There's a reason. Yeah. Well, for every DeCarion Joyner or Luke Doty, whoever you play, there is a Henry 2020 or however you say his name, a middle linebacker that's played for three years or played for two years. And 
the guys that are on the other team, I, I think we forget sometimes are on scholarship too, and they're pretty good. And, you know, it's hard to ask to carry on joining out there and compete against a Bryce Thompson or an Alante. I don't know, you know, Alante is their other corner, yeah. who are two really good corners that have been playing together for a while. Just like it would be hard to go out and ask a freshman to go up against J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu because these guys have had so many time, you know, snaps together. So it's going to take some time for a joiner, for a Luke Doty, for Rico Powers. It's very rare in the SEC to see a guy come in day one and catch 10 passes for 140 yards. Shot Smith didn't do it. Um, Brian Edwards did it because he was forced to do it because they didn't have any other receivers at the position. And he was just and he's, special. And he's a freak of nature. He, caught, he caught a ball in every game he ever played in, I yeah, think, in college. It's, it's, it's insane. And so – Brian Edwards don't grow on trees. It's very hard to find a guy that from day one can come in and just be an impact receiver, and that takes time. Now, it's different for each player. I mean, you know, one guy could come in and it takes two games. Another guy takes six. Another guy could take an entire year. So I think patience is key. I know as football fans, you don't want to hear that. Uh, be patient, especially in year five of a program. But for some of these young guys, it's going to take some time to really kind of come on, and that's why you need Shai Smith. That's why you need Nick Muse and Xavier Leggett to really come on and carry that team while some of these younger guys get their feet wet. And football is a developmental game. Hey, that's the eye in the must-champ bingo. That's the eye in must-champ bingo there. All right, let's go back to Chris Clark. Hopefully he's not falling asleep. I think he's um, dozing off there. Chris, tell us uh, about the game day chair and our friends at AffordableMedicalUSA.com. The game day chair. If you're on YouTube – um, or other streaming options up in the top left. That is the luxurious and comfortable game day chair. So as you're uh, at home watching football, including the Gamecocks tomorrow, you know, along with your comfortable fridge, your AC or your heat now is probably what you need. Uh, make sure you got the game day chair. Go to affordablemedicalusa.com and search for the Maxi Comfort with Twilight. Twilight is the zero gravity lay down position technology. Power pillow, lumbar support, super comfortable, super roomy chair. Um, also, if you're on YouTube, go down to our description at the bottom of the video and you can check out the link to the game day chair. We appreciate AffordableMedicalUSA.com, affordable medical equipment, and their support of the show. And Wes actually saw today, guys, Chris, the owner of Affordable Medical Equipment, is working on his new shop. It's coming along. So at some point soon, we're going to be able to go there. And I think we should get maybe two game day chairs and just do the show in it, two or three. And uh, that's really going to drum the interest up, I think. So I'm looking forward to doing that soon. Well, I mean, if we're really going to be able to tell people about the game day chair, we probably need to be sitting in the game day chair. So Chris, if you're other Chris, if you're watching, hook it up, my man. But all right, Chris, uh, we're going to let you get out of here shortly, but what's your final, final? And we may, I don't know, it's, it's an early game. We may hop on at some point tomorrow if we can. What's your final, 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 maybe final take on the game? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I go back to this key, and that is turnover margin. I mean, it's how South Carolina scored an upset over a top-five opponent last year. You look at that Georgia game. And it's hot. Lots of questions in there. And – you know, South Carolina won the turnover battle four to nothing, including a pick six. And, you know, Georgia turned the ball over four times. South Carolina did not still went to overtime, still a three point game, still came right down to the wire. So obviously a different opponent, different game, you know, different offensive coordinator for South Carolina. Uh, but, but some similar questions in that they got to go play a really talented team on the road, a team who's playing really well offensively. 
South Carolina has, you know, last season played Trask better, I think, than, than a lot of other people. But they put up over 600 yards and a bunch of points against Ole Miss week one. There are some potential areas that South Carolina can exploit on the Gators' defense, but can they put together consistent performance and do that? I think turnover margin is the biggest key for their potential to score an upset tomorrow. All right, that's Chris Clark. Chris, we're going to let you get out of here, man. Wish you were here, but uh, we'll see you soon, okay, man? Thanks, guys. You enjoy yourself out there at Market on Main. We shall do it. Welcome back. We are here at Market on Main. Trying to get Yuva over here, but he's ignoring us. I think he's too good for us. He sounds but, right. He gives off the air of <laughs> arrogance and um, hubris. Yeah, food was great, man. How was your, your plain, plain A burger? You know what? You give me grief all the time about my plain food takes. I like to enjoy the food at its base level. If I can enjoy meat, cheese, and bread, that means it's a good burger. Okay, so, so it, it at least does have yes. your seal of approval. Yes. All right, man, so we're sort of getting to the point where I feel like we've broken this game down from every side. Conceivable angle at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, you going to come join us on the live stream, man? I heard my name, so I can Proud of you for getting the salad there, bud. All right, we're joined by a um, special guest. Not a planned guest, but still a special guest. Columbia Legends. This was a surprise for me. I was just coming for lunch. Yeah. You didn't come to see us? Oh, that's the reason I came here. Okay, <laughs> all right, that's better. All right, Mike, this is Mike Yuva. Watch Fox. We can get Colin yeah, to slide his stuff. Slide what, what you got there, man? A little uh, eating good? Salad, man. Okay, so protein with your, your healthy eating. I'm going to go to the gym before we shoot some high school football games tonight. So did a little special meet tape that's going to be airing on Sunday. So we had some time. Came on out. So Mike Uva, watch Fox. You can follow him on Twitter. What's your Twitter? Mike underscore UVA. Say, say underscore again. Underscore. 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 Mike underscore UVA. Never, it doesn't matter how long I'm in the South. It's always going to be, you know, the thick uh, Boston. Mocky Mock and the Funky Boots. Yeah. yeah. You're always going to hear I it. I like it. Dude, you're you're a market on Maine legend, right? Like you're you're here pretty pretty often, I feel like. I'm a village idiot guy, but it's been closed the last couple months. So now, you know, I'm always going to be loyal to Brian Glenn. Okay. But market is, I mean, there's not another setup like this in the area. 23 the, foot. Yeah, the big jumbotron. I mean, I'm, unfortunately, I, I unfortunately saw how, how things played out for that USC game last week. But I watched it here at the end of it after we got off air. And, you know, even with socially distance going on, it was a good-sized crowd. and Pretty good way to watch the game. So you're – not going to the game. I know everything's a little bit different this year. Yeah. You watch it from home tomorrow? Oh, yep. Okay. I know you, like us, you've been there for all the Zoom press conferences. We all watch South Carolina, Florida. The last two years, really, games that were very winnable for South Carolina. Mm-hmm. What's your takeaway going into this game? We've been talking about keys, you know, things to watch, matchups to watch. So you can take it wherever you want, but – what has been maybe your key couple of things you've looked at going into this game? I think just being able to capitalize on opportunities. And I think back to this Tennessee game this, this past week. I know we're talking about the Florida game, especially down in games for the last couple of years. But I, I just think back to you score that opening drive. You have all the momentum. Hold them to a three and out. They screw up their punt, and you're in plus territory, and you just can't capitalize. And that's just kind of been something South Carolina struggled with. They can't even get a field goal. I mean, yeah. Even if they get a field goal, just think of that momentum. So, you know, you look at a Florida team who 
offensively. We know how good they are. But defensively last week, I mean, they gave up over 600 yards. Yeah. And if this USC offense does take chances to stretch the field early in the game, like we saw in the second half, if your defense can just come up with some opportunities to stop, you're going to have to just be able to, to capitalize on those opportunities in terms of being able to get field goals and scoring in the red zone, just areas that South Carolina the last couple of years have struggled with. I think, for one, we're all guilty, at least I am. I think I look at Florida and I sort of look at it as like a continuation from last year. We only have actually yeah. one – we have one game yeah. of sort of things to go off of for both these teams. And I think for Florida and, unfortunately, for South Carolina, a lot of fans feel like that game last week was just a continuation from last year, you know, and which in some ways maybe is fair. Right. In some ways maybe isn't because everybody has a new team this year. We're all assuming based on what we saw last year that this Florida offense is still really good. Now, I think the other side of it is this is an old Miss defense that has a lot of question marks mm-hmm. that, that Florida, Florida took advantage of them, don't get me wrong. And then an Ole Miss offense that we think is pretty good but really had some big plays. And if they could have stayed on the field or the other side actually gotten off the field on some third downs, maybe that's a little bit closer game. So I I think Florida is really good offensively. I think they're probably a little better defensively than they showed against Ole Miss. But we also don't – we don't know any of that yet. So I think there's sort of – I've seen from the fan base a little bit, a lot of people are sort of just like – South Carolina's not winning this game. Like, I'm going to enjoy the game. I'm going to maybe have some drinks with my friends. But I'm not expecting anything good to happen for Carolina. But I look at it like, let's at least let these games start to play out, see how much of what went wrong for South Carolina is correctable for this team, you know, as opposed to just saying, oh, this is the same team as last year. Because it's not. And Eric Kimberly mentioned this before, and any coach will tell you this. The biggest difference you'll see in improvement, and I know it sounds cliche to say, but it's the truth, is week one to week two, especially in a year like this year where things were just so different. Um, I think if you're trying to find any positives, yes, you know, there were a lot of explosive plays that Tennessee had against that secondary last week against USC. Those things can be correct. You know, they were one of, I, I try to take the positives away. They were 111 on third downs in terms of being able to get Tennessee off the field. That's good. They had 11 missed tackles. I know it seems like at times it was more, but I, my point being is the things that USC struggled with last week defensively, they can correct that. They can correct that. But of course, I mean, you're going up against arguably the best tight end in the country this, this week. So if you can somehow slow him down, you don't have to take him out of the game completely. If you can yeah. slow him down, that's the nucleus of that offense. And I was talking to T- Colin about that yesterday. If you can just slow him down, that's going to change the entire complexion of how Florida is trying to operate. And you have to be efficient, I think, too, offensively. Yeah. I mean, you have to be able to – I mean, total yards don't mean a whole lot in today's football. But if you're averaging, you know, five and a half, six yards per play, mm-hmm. that feels really, really good because you're able to get first down, sustain drives. Um, I'm not a big time of possession guy, but if you keep Florida's offense off the field, Kyle Pitts can't hurt you and Kyle Trash can't hurt you, and if you're more efficient and you're scoring points doing that in the red zone on third down, then you have you feel pretty good. Like, if you come in and tell me that South Carolina was about 60% on third down, average five yards, five and a half yards per play, I think that game, I don't know if South Carolina wins it, but I think it's at least closer than what the spread and is. And you guys have seen over the last couple of years, but I can just go back to when I covered uh, Dan Mullen when I was in Mississippi, in Mississippi State, 
He's the type of guy that if you keep that offense off the field and he gets back out there and he feels like he just has been kind of cooped up, he's going to try to take shots downfield, and that's when things kind of blow up in their face. So if you're able to, like you said, time possession, I'm not a huge, you know, uh, fan of it or in terms of like, you know, I think this is like make or break. But if you can keep a Dan Mullen offense off the field, when he comes on the field back again, he's going to try to force something down the field. And like we saw last year with Georgia, if you can make them pay, anything can happen in this game. I I think – Time of time of possession generally, especially modern days, is overrated for most teams. But I think that's more for those teams that are more trying to get as many plays off as possible. Yep. They're going hurry up, and a lot of times they have, let's be honest, really good proven offenses, which is something right now South Carolina does not have. So I think for South Carolina, you look at last year and then the year before, how often they lost time of possession – put their defense right back on the field. Wait, you know, time of possession, I think, tells one – time. If you're, if you're going out and you're only having five plays on offense each drive, but that's because you're scoring and it's yeah. five plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown, yeah. You'll take it. <laughs> you don't care at all about time. But if you're South Carolina last year, way too many three and outs, way too many situations where you're on the field and you're right back off the field by not scoring. Mm-hmm. So I think for them, keeping that defense – sort of rested where last year you just wore, felt the defense just got worn down as the year went on. So I, I think certainly for them is very important. Dude, you you play DB, right? The special teams player of the week, too. Conference, yeah. Conference How, any 10, man. They say it's like the SEC of the North. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Who's they? Who says that? No assumption. <laughs> Go Greyhounds. Cuba does. But, no, so I can't imagine – they were asking you necessarily to play man coverage against many guys as big as Pitts. Well, they weren't telling me to play man off, and I was his own guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got you. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Defensive back background. Let's say you're. I mean, a lot of times safeties, I think, are going to have to guard this guy. Now they do. I was talking earlier. They split him out. They move him around. Yep. Sometimes a corner is matched up with him. Sometimes a poor linebacker gets left on him. How how do you manage this guy in coverage? And I, I think. Like we were talking about earlier for Carolina, part of it is just you're going to give him as many different looks as possible. But for physically, how do you match? How do you cover a guy with this size and this speed? I mean, you, you have two great tight, you have two great corners. But the way I would approach it, and I don't know how how Coach Mushim's going to approach it. Anytime Pitts is out, spread out wide, right? And he's he's the number one receiver. You know, one being one on the outside, he can come everything in. If he's the number one receiver, I'm putting Mukwamu on him. And the main reason why is because I want to have someone that's a little bit lengthy on him in terms of just being able to create that um, more of a, of a matchup that is favorable uh, in your, you know. If he's inside, I like J.C. Horn on a little bit better because I think Horn has a little, you know, better hips than Mukwamu. Um, and it's just a little bit different in terms of a little more physical at the point of attack. Exactly. So I think, you know. If he's going to be on the outside, and I don't know, I don't know how West Shape approaches his defense, but sometimes you know you'll see a guy. Uh, he'll basically just be a, a boundary corner, and wherever the field is, he's always going to be on the yeah. short side of the field. Um, or you know, sometimes you'll see, you know, you'll you'll put a, a guy just basically just shadowing him the entire time. To me, it would make more sense to shadow pitch with Mkwamu if he's on the outside. But you know, like you said, you got to continue just to be different. And I, I love that quote that West Shape had on Tuesday, which is you know playing defense is like, you know, being in war. You know, if you stay in the same spot over and over, eventually you're going to get blown up. 
And one of the things that they did so well last year against Georgia is they just kept changing things up. They kept making things difficult for Fromm. If they can do that against Trask, I think it's going to make things difficult for Pitts to get in a rhythm and just the whole offense to be able to get uh, the rhythm that we saw last week against Ole Miss. Well, I think Trask, the thing he does so well is he's not extending the play to run. He's extending to keep his eyes downfield, yep. and he just crushes team. I mean, even last year, there was a uh, there was a third – there was a sequence, and it's, I think if you go back, this is where Florida took over the game. There was a sequence when they're in South Carolina territory, and he had a third and long. Carolina gets pressure. Trask escapes. I think he actually did run on this one, but got just enough to make it a more makeable fourth down. Mullen, who can be pretty aggressive, he leaves the offense on the field. Next play, Kinlaw gets tackled from behind, by the way. Gets held. <laughs> Not that you expect them to ever call anything on Javon Kinlaw last yeah. year, it seemed like, um, as many times he got held. Trask, though, rolls away from him. Everybody's covered on the initial rhythm of the play, right? Yep. But then Trask, he's rolling to his left, and he just, like, shot puts the ball. Coverage is right there. Yeah. Florida receiver makes – and then – I swear I think it's the very next play. He hits that sort of deep wheel route where uh, the DB, you know, he, the receiver has to step on the DB. Touchdown catch. Florida goes up by four in a game South Carolina had controlled, I would say, for mo- for most of that contest. So I think Trask, it's getting pressure on him, but then it's also finding a way to sort of contain him as you get pressure on him. Mm-hmm. And also, speaking of the way Muschamp said things, I loved how he was like, you have to cover these guys twice. Mm-hmm. And you, it's not good enough just to have them covered for that first two and a half to three seconds when he's taking his drop. You've got to stay with them Flushes out. while this yeah. guy's moving around. And that's, and that's why I think if, you can, if you're able to put some pressure on him, don't be shocked. Because even though he has a great arm, don't be shocked to see them play some zone. The reason why is when you play man coverage and he starts to roll out, even though you know nine times out of ten he's not really trying to extend the plays with his feet, in terms of just being able to run, he's trying to extend it in terms of being able to have, like you said, guys are covered up as receivers. And they and come back to the ball. And they come back yeah. to the ball. It's kind of just playing like, you know, street ball. So point being is when you're in zone coverage, you're able to see the quarterback. You're able to keep everything in front of you. Um, the difficult thing about that is there's also that creates some of the, the holes, but you got to be doing your, I know it's cliche to say as a coach or a player, one, your 111th. You have to do your 111th. And in the secondary, South Carolina struggled to do that last week when they played zone coverages, and you were able to just see, you know, the QB just being able to hit some of those spots, those soft openings. So if you're able to play zone and you're able to keep everything in front of you, it does make things a little bit more difficult in comparison to, to man. Because when you do play man and he's able to roll out, if you just screw up, that's where a lot of those explosive plays are going to happen. Yeah. And that's what we saw with Ole Miss last week. So don't be shocked to see South Carolina go with a lot of zone, but they have to be able to get the pressure going, especially if they're only going to be sending four. And I saw we had a comment about that earlier that – that South Carolina got bounced out of their gaps. It's not the secondary, but mm-hmm. on that first play in the second half, they did get bounced out of a lot of their run gaps, and it looked like at times guys were trying to do too much. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's just human nature at times. If you're a defensive end and you see the ball go to the right and you're on the left, you are you know you tend to skew that way. And, you know, if you're a defensive end and you're rushing upfield, you can't get too far up against Florida because then that creates a gap for Trask to shoot through. I think that's a big thing. If you can keep, if you're JJ Anningbare or um, Aaron Sterling, you can't get too far upfield. Yeah, because that gives Trask a few more lanes to run through and extend the play. So you have to maintain that pocket, but still 
you know, push it into where he's not comfortable and you can get some sacks on him. That's something in a way to be able to compare it because you won't see it on if you're watching the game, unless you're like, you know, paying attention to the defensive line, you're not really noticing that, unless maybe you're a coach. Best way to describe it is just think about kickoffs, right? When you see a guy, it usually happens just like this. A guy will muff the punt or muff a kick, right? And what happens? Everyone gets out of their lane lane integrity. And that's when you see things have to break out to the outside. It's the same thing. Same exact thing for a defensive line. You know, people try to just do too much. And this week you just can't. You have to do what you got to do in terms of being able to do your 111. When you have some of the younger guys, that's why I worry about the most. You know, you got talent in Jordan Birch and Pickens and stuff. But now it's like, hey, look. You get by your guy. Trust what we're telling you to do. Don't try to do too much because if yeah. he bounces things outside, that's what they want, and that's where the explosive plays happen. Or if you tell a Zach Pickens or a, a you know Alex Huntley if he could have played or talk to Hemingway, hey, we, we need you to take on this double team. Do and it. Hold on to it. That way we can have Ernest Jones or Demonte Staley else. Yeah, yep. that'll blitz. Um, then you have to do that if you're a Zach Pickens. Or you got to be the traffic like, cone. Yeah. Sometimes you got to be in yeah. traffic cone. Some people yeah. don't like being the traffic cone because the traffic cone don't get any love, you right. know. But if you're the traffic cone, you take on those two guys. It's gonna, like you said, it's gonna open up something. Yeah, and that's what I think South Carolina has to. Do. You have to be creative with how you pressure Trask. Yep. He has to not know where you're coming from, whether that's a stunt, whether that's a, you know, switching and having Aaron Sterling pinch in and you know a Zach Pickens roll out to the side. So there are things you can do, and it's just a matter of having guys do, like you said, their one eleven to get it done. And we're going to give the traffic cone some love yes. here on the show. I think we had a traffic cone of the week. Uh, I like Traffic it. cone. So this this goes back to my – in college. You play college ball? Yes. I don't <laughs> like saying it like that, though. But one of my teammates, he got very upset because he felt like – he's like, you know – He like, got no freak. love? He's like, I, he's, like, he's like, I feel like I'm a freaking traffic cone out here. He's like, you have him doing everything. Why don't you have me do something, huh? Like I'm a traffic cone out here. So that, I just love that. That's where yeah. I got that from. I like traffic it. cone yeah. of the week. Traffic Coming cone of the week. week. Um, it sounds like it could be a negative thing, but it actually is going to be a very positive thing here on the show. So do keep it positive. I do think, and we're about up on the end of the show here, but some very correctable things on both sides for South mm-hmm. Some of what y'all are talking about, like trying to do too much up front, some of that is game one stuff because you get you get so excited, so juiced up, so ready to make a play, and then it maybe takes Coach being able to go back this week and say, hey, man, look at what you did right here. Yep. This is what we're talking about in practice. Now take this to the game field, you know? And I think offensively, even though they they actually they scored more than I expected offensively last week, yeah. had a few more explosive plays than maybe I expected. But the thing I think we're going to see be way more successful for South Carolina moving forward is the screen game yep. because they did not have a lot of success in the, in the screen game this past week. But you look everywhere else Bobo's been, Screens are a huge part of what they do, for one thing. And two, if you look back, if you like slow motion, a lot of those screens that went for nothing, it's one guy who doesn't get to his spot and make a block. And, the you know, a screen is kind of all or nothing. Like, it's not really a play that a lot of times goes for like – Six yards. Yeah, and you're done. it's generally – it's like you almost move the line of scrimmage and the offense is trying to get to a spot. The defense, if they spot it, they're trying to get to that spot. And if the defense blows it up, it's either nothing yep. or a negative play, or it springs out and you have 10 yards or more in a first down. For Carolina, it, they were always like this close, but they were on the wrong side of that. I think those things will spring for them as the year goes on. They get a little more comfortable. They gel. It's a timing play almost, I think. So 
some of that will be something I would be watching this week for South Carolina because I think long term they have to have those screens. They're never going to be – they don't have the receivers that they're just going to pick teams apart like maybe a Florida can. Mm-hmm. So hitting the screen plays and having some success from those areas of their game I, I think will be big for them this week and moving forward. Do you, do you give predictions? Or are you? Uh, I can do if you want me to give a prediction. You, have you thought about a prediction? No. I can, I can we think have, of – We talked yesterday. We haven't talked <laughs> – I know it's not going like, to be like the greatest prediction because I'm not giving like an actual score, but I, I truly believe if South Carolina can hold Florida under 35 points, I feel I, I feel like they can win this game. And I know that sounds crazy to say, um, and you know I cover both Clemson and USC, so I feel like I try to be as, as unbiased as possible. I truly believe that South Carolina, you know, can win this game. And the reason being is because I, I feel like some people are buying into Florida too much. I feel like. I know we only have one week to work off because Florida's going to probably show some improvements too from week one to mm-hmm. week two. But I just feel like that that Florida team show that they are beatable. They are beatable. That offense is good, but I don't know how good they really are. And then from a defensive standpoint, they just have a lot of question marks. I mean, South Carolina hasn't scored 30 points, though, in a while. Well, they haven't had Mike Bobo for a while either. There you go. Yeah, I was about to say. staying positive here. I was about to say. Um, Stretch the field they, early, though. They'll read, they'll read ours on Gamecock Central. That is a free article. Yes. The game day guide, so – you, anybody that's on here can read it. Game day guide, look for that. It'll be posted tomorrow morning or maybe even probably like midnight tonight before I go to bed. Getting wild. Um, Getting wild on a Friday night. Yeah. Here at Market on Main. Um, <laughs> all right, where where can we find you on Twitter again? I just want to hear you say underscore again. Yeah. And I'll, I'll really drop it for you that time. Mike underscore UVA. <laughs> He's Mike Uva. Watch Fox. Our we got we got to do this again, man. I'm more, make, I'm more than happy, man. Make this a planned yeah. thing. This was not planned. No, I just was, I, I literally just showed <laughs> up. <laughs> it was cool. He's Colin Taylor. We had Chris Clark on earlier. Uh, appreciate Mark and Maine for hosting us here. Get your tickets to their watch party. Early game tomorrow, so y'all got to get out of bed. Get down here. Brunch, booze, football, big screen. They got good brunch. They got great brunch. They got good brunch. Yeah. Man. So I mean, you. Re- I mean, that's what people in Columbia like the most. I don't know what order it what, is. Brunch and booze and football. And I don't. Football. Depending on the day, I don't know yeah. the order. But when I moved to Mississippi, they told me they, they said the most uh, three important things in the South, uh, three Fs, and I'm like, what that? And I don't know if it's necessarily the order, but I think like it was uh, faith, football, family. You know, so something like that. And alcohol. And alcohol. <laughs> and alcohol. And Colum- I mean, fermented. Fermented. Yeah. No other. In, to in, this, in this town, definitely alcohol. Yeah. Uh, all right, but all right. I know I'm saying we're leaving, but I almost forgot something. So. Mullen, you, you said you covered him in Mississippi. He came up with your don't touch that. Don't touch that clicker. Mullen was the guy who essentially came up with that. It was at a – it was like, I don't know what they call it for South Carolina if they do anything. It's like when they travel for like their yeah. – you know, it was called the, the road dog tour. So they go all across the state, basically get people to help Carolina them. Carolina has that. Boosters, yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. And he walked in, and I said to him, I said, hey, you know, Coach Levitt says he's sorry that he pulled you with 19 points your senior year of high school basketball. He would have left you in if you knew you were going to get 20. And he's like, you know, because everyone's yelling at him. He's like, how do you know, you know, Joe Levitt? And, you know, back then he had the fake Southern accent. Always, I gave him a hard time about it. Now it's all gone. Yeah. He's a New Hampshire guy. He doesn't have a Southern right. accent. Um, but we just started talking. He sat with me, and he's like, and I told him, I said, yeah, I'm trying to fade my accent away. He's like, man, he's like, you should embrace it at times. He's like, maybe say something about, like, you know, don't touch in the clicker or something. So then, that's that's where it came about. So Dan Mullen is the guy that came essentially up with "Don't touch that clicker." Wow. Yep. Have y'all stayed in touch over the years? I or? did see him after the Florida game uh, uh-huh. last last year. We we talked briefly, um, but he's a good guy. I liked him. 
and has done really well there. I mean, yeah. let's let's be honest. Even when he was a, even when he was there though, with with uh, just being the quarterbacks coach, you know, yeah. and when Cam Newton was there Tim and Tebow, Tebow and I know Cam Newton was there for a cup of coffee, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. they had some good quarterback play over there. And and I think a lot of respect. For, you can tell this week, Muschamp has a lot of respect yeah. for Mullen as an offensive mind. That's not just coach talk, which we usually yeah. Kirby Kirby Smart just talked about it this earlier this week. You hear a lot of coach talk. That's not that's, coach that's talk. That's genuine He's, respect yeah. for yeah. him and Todd Graham. Yep, yep, yep. And but I think the other side, I think Mullen does respect Muschamp and the defensive mind and what he does. That it's going to be a cool chess match to watch. We're out of time. Come out of market on Maine. Thanks to AffordableMedicalUSA.com, our primary sponsor. For Colin, for Mike, I'm Wes. We'll see you all soon.